Welcome to Section Hiking the Appalachian Trail. I am your host, John Eskelson, and I'm grateful you've taken the time to listen to this podcast today. For those who want to see pictures from these adventures, please check us out on Instagram. You can find me at Section Hiking the Appalachian Trail at uh, section underscore hiking underscore the underscore AT and on Twitter at Eskelson John which is E-S-K-E-L-S-E-N-J-O-N. If you have any comments or questions you'd like to share, please share your thoughts with me as well. I look forward to hearing them. Now on with the show. Today's episode is going to finish off describing a trip that I originally took in October 2020 when I hiked all of Shenandoah National Park. At the time, I did not complete talking about Swift Gap down to the end of the trail at Rockfish Gap. I've mentioned in previous episodes why that didn't happen, but I'll refresh those reasons now. First, it had frankly been too long since I had done this hike and couldn't remember some of the details. Second, I hadn't learned to manage my battery power and ran out of juice uh, to take notes and pay attention to things like mileage and other data. And then three, my headspace at that point in time was not the best it had ever been. So my hiking partner, Alex, came down from Pennsylvania and we decided to do the hike of this section again. Originally, this was going to be the hike I was going to use to introduce my sister to backpacking. The plan is is that she was going to come out from Washington State for her first backpacking trip. But for several good reasons, this plan failed and she ended up not coming out to the D.C. metro area. So he, so instead, Alex and I went and did it ourselves. We met up on a Sunday afternoon at Rockfish Gap at the end of the hike. Alex left his car there, and then my wife and I picked him up and drove up to Swift Gap, which was off Route 33, to start our hike. And when I say we, I really mean to say that my wife, Emily, drove, uh, drove from our home two-ish hours to Rockfish Gap, spent another 45 minutes driving us to Swift Gap, in another two hours to get home. She has driven me a number of places and gone out of her way to support this backpacking endeavor um, for the past couple years, and I really deeply appreciate it. I'll also add that Alex's wife, Amy, has provided the same level of support, picking us up and dropping us off at random locations throughout Pennsylvania and Maryland. Their sacrifice and time and effort is greatly appreciated by Alex, myself, and my other hiking friends. So there we were on June 19th, which this year was both Father's Day and the Juneteenth holiday, at 3.50 p.m. getting out of the car at Swift Gap and heading to hike out. Our goal was to hike 46 miles to Rockfish Gap by Wednesday evening, averaging about 12 miles a day with seven or so miles the last day. We're gonna hike first to Pinefield Hut, then to Black Rock Hut, and then to Calf Mountain, finishing on Wednesday at the Gap. So most of the time, I prefer hiking in the spring or fall. It's cooler then, uh, not as hot, Uh, but during these periods of time, I find that I frequently need to stop hiking by around 5 p.m.-ish in order to set up camp and get dinner before it gets dark, and by extension, a little bit cold. But when hiking in June during the summer solstice, In the east, when the daylight is nearly 15 hours long, I learned that hiking a normal day leaves way too much time 
left doing nothing. Well, not nothing. There's lots of things that one can do. Uh, spending time with other hikers, talking, hanging out, swapping stories and the like. But it is almost like too much time in camp. Andrew Skirka has this idea that you either camp to hike or hike to camp when you're on the trail. I like to believe that I'm in the camp to hike category most days. Not all days, just most days. I guess it depends on how close the Type 3 fun is for me. Except that didn't happen on the first day. As I said, we left the car just before 4 p.m. and had 12 miles to go before we reached Pinefield Hut. There are a few places to camp before Pinefield Hut. There's also High Top Hut, as well as a few dispersed camping sites. The elevation at Swift Gap, is, which is at mile 909.7, heading northbound, is at 2,367 feet. We quickly climbed up two miles to 3,500 feet. We hiked fast because, well, we started late. We pushed our way up, up uh, what's it called, High Top Mountain. And then just as we were going to get to High Top Mountain Shelter, we came across an old man, like 80 years old, like he was walking really slow. Like you wouldn't think he was going to do a hike like this. We said hello and moved on, finding his hiking partner a few hundred feet further at the top of the hill in Chabad. These two guys had been hiking together for nearly 20 years. They had hiked several miles that day, but weren't in any hurry, and were going to end up at the hut nearby. It was actually really cool and kind of a moving scene, just these two friends spending time together in the woods, and something I hope I'm able to do at that age. We descended from the top of High Tap Mountain to mile 903 and a half at 2200 feet, where we crossed Skyline Drive and after an hour or so, decided to rest and eat some food. I ate some cheese and sausage with, on some crackers and had some dark peanut M&Ms and water to refuel. Alex also ate. At this point, we had a through hiker whose name escapes me, heading northbound, stop by and take a break and chat with us. Previous to hiking the Appalachian Trail, he had never been backpacking before. He'd gone camping, but never did what he's doing now. It was super exciting to hear his story. We pressed on, crossing paths with a Canadian, whose visa requires him to get to Maine and back to Canada in six months. So, he hopes to finish in five and a half months, so he'll have enough time to hike to his back home just over the border from Maine. Apparently, it's much more difficult for him, given the location of where he lives, to actually like get himself down to Bangor or someplace like that and take a flight. So he was hiking 25 miles a day and needed to keep that pace to ensure he made it both to the end of the trail and home across the Canadian border. We went up the, over the hill towards Simmons Gap, which is at mile marker 900.2 at 2,250 feet. There's water here at the ranger station uh, that's been piped in, and I know that I saw a tent in the grass just outside the station area. Right around Simmons Gap, we crossed the place where there is a mile marker indicating 900 miles. We crossed Skyline Drive again and climbed back up Weaver Mountain to 2894 feet and crossed Skyline Drive again at Pinefield Gap. Just after the gap at mile marker 989.1, uh, which is at 2464 feet in elevation, is Pinefield Hut. Moving southbound, you cross what looks like a dirt road, which was probably an old fire road at one point in time, and come into the hut area. 
It wasn't totally dark, but it was definitely dusk. When we arrived, the hut itself was full of hikers heading northbound, all of whom were already in bed going to sleep. It was only about 8 p.m. And Alex and I were also both pretty tired. We met some hikers whose names I didn't learn, and they took us up to one of the established sites where we could hang up our hammocks and camp for the night. Everyone at that point was going to bed. It was really quite fabulous to think about. Here are all these energetic people who have hiked 900 miles of a 2200 mile trail, and they were, no they were in bed no later than 9 p.m. on the longest day of the year. For dinner, I ate some chili and quinoa. I prefer couscous because it hydrates faster, but we were out of it at the house. My wife had a giant Costco bag of quinoa, however, uh, and so I used that. I made the mistake, though, of not soaking the quinoa long enough. It didn't cook through, and but the chili itself was fine, so it had a little bit of a crunchy texture to it. We put then... Oh, we then put all of our food and other smellables into the bear bins and got ourselves to bed. The next morning, we got up and packed, and after a good breakfast of Andrew Skirka's breakfast burrito, this time I brought salsa with me from Taco Bell, which made it better, we got on with a hike. There were still a few people lingering in camp, although most of them had arisen earlier than we had and left. We had 13.2 miles to go in order to arrive at Black Rock Hut and anticipate that it would take us nearly all day. We pushed out at 8 a.m., popping up over two quick hills in the first three miles, going up and down 400 feet in elevation twice. We then went into the Loft Mountain area, passing a small spring going up the hill before the pathway to Loft Mountain Wayside which might have been tempting had we been on the trail for a few months, but it wasn't really. We kept pushing forward up the hill to the Loft Mountain store, which is just off the trail at mile marker 892 and is at 3,155 feet. So over the first seven miles of the day, you gradually climb up and down from Pinefield, where you're at 2,463 feet to 2,800, then 2,900 feet, and then down again, then up to 3,300 feet. There are some differences at the loft store between our hike in July and in October 2020. Most notably is the selection of beverages. There used to be Coke products. Today it's all Pepsi products, which in my estimation is a significant downgrade. I know it's irrational and that both taste like carbonated cough syrup, but, you know, I make decisions from time to time, I guess. I don't know if it was just a vendor thing or a reflection of the times or something where the National Park Service hasn't caught up with the new demand in services after the bulk of the pandemic. Whatever it was, the store seemed less than before, but we did stop and get drinks. I bought a Gatorade, not for any particular purpose, other than then I had switched my water storage system to one where I used one liter collapsible Katahdin bottle coupled with a CNOC 2-liter bottle. I love both individually, but found it hard not to have a hard water bottle to grab onto. It might be petty and small, but I just couldn't get used to the idea of not using a smart water bottle that I've been using for years. Since then, I've gone back to one hard smart water bottle coupled with one of the soft bottles, and it's been better. 
We continued on around Loft Mountain Campground and the amphitheater, which drifts upward and then starts drifting back down at mile 891. We crossed Skyline Drive a couple of times and passed the Dundo Campground, which looked like a good place to stop. At Dundo, which is mile marker 887.2, you start to head back up again towards Black Rock. I don't know why, but it seemed to take longer to get up to Black Rock than I thought it did. But I love it because it's a pile of black rocks that are naturally emerged and stack up like black onyx Lincoln logs. The first time I hiked this with Chris, he and I stopped and hiked all over these rocks, taking lots of selfies and pictures of the place. This time, Alex and I were less interested in doing that, pausing for some water, but pushing on towards the next shelter, which was really close at mile marker 884.9. We turned off the main trail to the left and walked down the trail to the hut. We needed to do this because we were out of water, but it was also 3 p.m. That said, we were really tired. We had hiked 26 miles in less than 48 hours on legs that were not accustomed to doing so, and we were beat. Alex and I talked about going further, but were told there wasn't any water past this hut until Calf Mountain, which seemed odd to us, but again, we were tired. I actually took a nap in the mid-afternoon. I was that beat. Then we hung out and met a lot of hikers who came to stay at the site, including two sisters, one of whom wanted to hike, and when she was coming off a mountain in North Carolina, slipped and fell uh, because her leg and hip alignment were out of whack. So she went home and figured out what was wrong and did a bunch of physical therapy. After she was able to walk again and get strong, it took several months to do so, she came back out on the trail and was continuing her hike. Both she and her sister said they would go as long as they could until they couldn't anymore. We also met two brothers who were from the Outer Banks and who cooked all their meals over a fire in order to save fuel. They were the most bushwhackingly, I think that's a word, uh, hikers I had seen on the trail. Then we met this old guy who had all his gear ultra light and dialed in, regale us with stories of hiking, gear successes and failures and the like. It was interesting to listen to him tell stories. As we talked with everyone, we were told by several hikers that Calf Mountain was too close, that we'd be done too early in the day tomorrow, and that it was easy to get up through Rockfish Gap. We should be able to do it the next day. Alex and I talked about that and debated, but basically agreed to play it by ear and determine whether we would push on once we got to Calf Mountain. We went to bed that night and slept pretty well. My body was really tired, even with the nap. The next morning, we got up a little late, having slept long. We packed up and started getting ready. We didn't finish eating and packing until around 9 a.m. By that time, all but one hiker had, were gone. It was, she was a young Irish woman whose trail name was Frostbite, still eating her breakfast. She and I talked about Ireland and her love of these long trails in the United States. She loved the greenery and the differences that each state has. She noted that it was only, there was only a couple of balds in North Carolina that reminded her of her home country. Alex and I finished getting ready, said goodbye to Frostbite, and headed out for the day. I had memories of the broad downhill start to Black Rock Gap, uh, dropping to 2,321 feet at mile marker 884, and the gradual climb back up over three different hills to Skyline Drive near Rip Rap Trail at mile marker 881. 
Then the trail flattens out for the next four miles until you start to drop at mile 873 to a spring in the woods at 2100 feet. The spring here is very light in July. It was much stronger in October. We then climbed back up to nearly 3,000 feet to the Calf Mountain Shelter, passing a power line trail along the way. We didn't actually go into the campsite itself, but ended up at the spring just out on the outskirts of the broader site. This was fine by me. Calf Mountain Shelter is old and unkempt. It's a piece of crap, really. Plus, in October 2020, it was full of wolf spiders everywhere once you started looking for them. It was sort of frightening on the one hand, but I think they kept the mice at bay on the other and weren't very aggressive. At the same time, if you ever Google to see what a wolf spider bite does to a person, then you wouldn't want to be anywhere near them. In October 2020, Chris and I spent the night in the shelter because it was our last night on, on the trail and we knew it was going to rain and it did quite hard. Because we didn't want to get soaking wet and pack out in the rain, we slept in the shelter. It wasn't a mistake, but with the spiders, and we didn't realize it was full of them when we went to sleep, it was definitely a trade-off. Coming back to the present, it was warm and sunny, and we were there at 3 p.m. Alex and I talked about it briefly, but didn't want to stop at 3 p.m. again. There didn't seem to be any purpose in it. There didn't seem to be any purpose in it. Plus, all these hikers told us that the distance between Calf Mountain and Rockfish Gap wasn't all that challenging, so we decided to push on. I'll share right now that this was both the right decision to push onward, but also a lie that it was easy. In fact, given the nature of the 36 or so miles of trail we had hiked already, the last 7 to 8 were far more difficult, at least most of it was for me. More specifically, we had hiked 13-ish miles that day already, and our legs were not accustomed to 20-plus mile days. After you go on past Calf Mountain, you pop out um, at the top of Calf Mountain, just shy of 3,000 feet, over a half a mile past the hut area. From there, you break out of the top of the forest and enter into grassland. You drop down a little bit and go back up Little Calf Mountain before descending through the grass fields to Beagle Gap. It's kind of pretty. Now here's a bit of advice I have thought about since doing this hike. You can go up and over Bears Den Mountain and past the communications tower and the tractor seats, which are as cute as it goes. But if you're going to do this and go to McCormick Gap, then you should definitely follow the following advice. Call a cab. Because the trail between McCormick Gap and Rockfish Gap is, in Alex's words, sort of sadistic. I don't think that the section hiker in me two years ago would have ever considered this, however the section hiker of today does. I also realize that most people who are through hiking and have hiked nearly 600, sorry, 900 miles at this point would think, what are you talking about? Maybe it's because it was hot. Maybe we weren't ready to hike 20 miles that day. Maybe it was that we hadn't built our trail legs yet. But anyway, Skyline Drive is flat and straight. But you cross the road at McCormick Gap and you go essentially straight up the hill about two-tenths of a mile. And when I say straight up, I mean it feels straight up. It's not that long, honestly, but it feels that way, especially when heading southbound. I'm sure when you're heading down it, going northbound, it's much easier. But southbound is really a difficult stretch. And while the rest of the trail is supposed to be downhill, it's very rocky and challenging to hike along. 
It doesn't really feel like it's that downhill. It feels like you're hiking along the side of a hill on a small trail that shouldn't be there. But you continue down the trail for another three miles until you get to Rockfish Gap. We finished up the last several miles about 7 p.m. We sat for a while and went and got something to eat at Blue Mountain Brewery nearby, which was delicious. So here's what I learned on this trip that I need to remember. One, despite what they tell you, ensure you know your own strength or lack thereof. The through hikers are right. Finishing up on Tuesday was better than hanging out and waiting until Wednesday morning, even if it was a long and tiring day. Two, summer hiking gives you a chance to hike many more miles across days than in other times of the year. Three, water can be scarce in the middle of summer, even in a place like Shenandoah National Park. Four, take time to meet all the really cool people you come across. There are so many great people on the trail, and if you can, take time to talk with some of them. It's really interesting to talk to these folks. And then five, making time to spend time with a friend along the trail is a good thing. Oh, one more thing. If my sister is listening to this episode, she needs to come out for a hike. Or perhaps we could hike somewhere interesting in Texas. All right, that's it. If you want, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcasts and let me know what you think. And tell people about this podcast. I'd love to hear from you and however you want to reach out. Thank you and have a great hike.